Our Advent liturgy this morning is full of expectation, especially with the readings that we were just proclaiming, and I'll try to explain that just a little bit more in a minute here, but the season of Advent is put in place to help us prepare for the coming of the Lord whenever he comes, daily at the end of time, and also as we celebrate his birth annually. And I think every day during the season of Advent, I might be wrong on a day or so, the first reading in the scripture comes from the prophet Isaiah. And that's what we have before us this morning. And the prophet Isaiah uh, is, is quoted during Advent because a lot of those sayings that he gives us are repeated time and again in our experience and our liturgy. So we have uh, the first reading. Isaiah is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has sent me to, teach, to preach glad tidings to the poor. And then he speaks of healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming captives free and liberty for prisoners. A very interesting reading. It's, I say it's full of expectation. Then he also went on to talk about saying uh, uh, the, how the Lord uh, fills the hungry with good things to eat and the rich he sends away empty. Very interesting image. Now, where's the expectation in all of that? Well, that first part of Isaiah the Lord has said, the Lord is upon me, sent me to proclaim glad tidings to the poor. In Luke's gospel, immediately at the beginning of his public ministry, after we have the, the infancy narratives recounted, and then his trip to the desert and his baptism, the first thing Jesus does is he goes back to his hometown to Nazareth, and he had to be very, very familiar with all of those surroundings. So he goes over to the local synagogue where he was probably taught the scriptures at the feet of Mary and Joseph, and he goes over, he knows exactly where the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is, and he, he takes it down, probably could have been the, the only copy of what we would call the book of Isaiah today, the only copy in the town. But he knew exactly what he was looking for, and lo and behold, he unrolls the scroll to the place where we started out this morning. Uh, the Lord uh, has sent me, uh, and then he gives this description of glad tidings to the poor and freedom to captives and prisoners, liberty, and to announce a year 
of favor from the Lord. And then it says, he rolled the scripture back up. He gave it to the assistant, who probably went and store, stored it back away for safekeeping. And then he went and sat down. And he said, as you hear this, this is being fulfilled in your hearing it. In other words, he was saying, we're starting today. This is it. Now, from now on, you will see these words fulfilled. That's my job description. And then the next part where it talks about uh, the Lord filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty, that line is taken up in the Gospel of Luke also. But is Jesus saying this? Not on your tintype. Mary is saying this. So what we have in Isaiah is recapitulated or fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus and Mary. And now you have probably figured out why during Advent we would listen to that particular reading because <clears throat> if Jesus were standing here <clears throat> and rolling up the scroll, <clears throat> putting it back on the shelf, he would be saying, and this is fulfilled now as you are hearing it in my presence. If Mary were here, she would say, just you wait until my song comes out, the Magnificat, where I give God praise for the wonderful things God has done, including filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. And that song is repeated every single day of the year in the church's liturgy called evening prayer or vespers, repeating Mary's uh, uh, top 40 hit, the Magnificat, praising God for God's goodness down through the ages. So this, just the first reading itself <clears throat> is very, very rich. Now after Jesus <clears throat> explains to the hometown boys and girls, uh, this is going to be fulfilled. Then he tells them two narrative stories that must, he must have just loved when he heard this from Joseph and Mary. He tacked these two stories on, and we find them in the Old Testament scriptures as well. The first one is about the, uh, the widow of Zarephath running out of food, doesn't have any more, and through the prophet, uh, she is uh, satiated and has, has enough to get through the year with her son and feed her son, uh, the widow of Zarephath. The second story Jesus tells, just to shake things up a little bit and get things going and let him know he means what he said. The second one is the cleansing of the Syrian Naaman. And 
he was cleansed of leper, leprosy. So as Jesus rolls out this job description and then gives exhibit A and B, he says, you'll notice how the mercy and the tenderness of God was exhibited here, but not in the land of Israel where you'd think, you know, we had all kinds of hungry widows running around uh, starving with their children. But it was to the widow of Zarephath, a foreigner, an outsider. And Jesus points this out explicitly. It wasn't to someone from our own house of faith. It was the foreigner. We had all kinds of people in need. But the Lord reached out beyond uh, our four walls. His second example, the healing of uh, Naaman the leper, a Syrian, uh, one of Trump's favorites, a Syrian. Mercy of God reaches out and touches him. And Jesus said, we had all kinds of leprous people running around in Israel. Why didn't he choose one of us? Well, <clears throat> number one, because God made up God's own mind and didn't take his cues from anybody here, he wanted to reach out to tell about his universal love, his universal compassion, and of all things, he heals a foreigner, a Syrian. Jesus points these out in his first hometown homily, letting people know this is what we're talking about. This is serious, and it's been going on for hundreds of years. We need to open our minds to this. Not long ago, before John Lewis died, as you know him, a very uh, prophetic American uh, politician and uh, practically a martyr, uh, he talked about <clears throat> some goals for the younger group coming up, and he encouraged them to do what he had done. <clears throat> he said, it's getting into trouble. It's good trouble. He didn't use the word sacred or holy, but he just said, getting into good trouble. I think that's what Jesus had in mind, to use a, a contemporary phrase. I'm going to be out there getting into good trouble. In other words, choosing the causes that he found most worthy for his support, and then handing this on to the next generation. Don't stop looking for good trouble. In our own time, we have the example of Pope Francis, whom many have taken on, and many of the, the religious elite have taken on 
uh, in a very confrontational manner as Francis tries to hand on to the church getting into good trouble or proclaiming the, the gospel of social justice, picking out special places of emphasis for the church's attention. Early on, and now we might be able to understand a little bit more clearly what he meant when he was saying he used a metaphor for the church, which I think fits in uh, four square with the gospel or with the, uh, uh, the reading from Isaiah and then later the gospel of Luke. Uh, he talks, he talked about a metaphor for the church. Let's break out from our four walls of comfort and see the church as the words he used were a field hospital. Now that might not have resonated with us eight, ten months ago or two years ago. Look at our experience today when we talk of using the image, the metaphor for the church and its ministry, a field hospital. Somehow we know exactly what that means. That we are called on to break out from our comfortable ministries and now move into the spreading of God's mercy even if we have to put up a field hospital. And we see that happening all over the place. So the gospel readings today, the spe this uh, spirit in the season of Advent, they really come together, I think, very beautifully. The trouble is they come to us uh, very much, I think, as a challenge now during this Advent season in ways that we never even imagined before. So the imagery, the metaphor of a field hospital, and then in his words to the clergy, Pope Francis, again nudging us beyond our comfort zones, he actually said to us, you really need to be smelling, not literally, you need to be smelling more like the sheep that you're sent to take care of, meaning don't be afraid to break out of your sacristies, your churches, and your offices into the lives of the people or the sheepfold that you are given to lead and to guide. And using the, the imagery of smelling like the sheep uh, pretty well drives the meaning of it home. And then when he uh, got around to the bishops, not just the clergy, uh, again, with, uh, consistent with his message, uh, maybe a little bit less challenging, he said, you know, are your French cuffs really that important that bishops have to wear French cuffs all the time? And then they started disappearing, you know. <laughs> I think they're back, doesn't make any difference. But we got the point.
You're laughing. I'm serious. Anyhow, uh, with, with Francis, he, I think he embodies a lot of the spirit of the liturgy today, that when Jesus is born, he's born not into a palace, but into a humble stable. The reason for that is to be with us, not just faking it along the way. <clears throat>